All right, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 14 through 17. Romans chapter 8. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. You know, the Bible uses the home and family to illustrate Christ and his church. Of course, with the disintegration of the home in our society, it seems that that's happening simultaneously with the apostasy of churches. Isn't that interesting? But the Christian is, is in a family relationship with all the rights of birth. So this morning, I want to look at life in the family of God. Life in the family of God. So let's have a word of prayer and then we'll look at this. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to uh, open your precious word this morning. Thank you for each one that's gathered here. And I pray that the Spirit of God would take the word of God, his truth, and would speak to our hearts and challenge us and bring us in accordance in agreement with what the Word of God says. Help our hearts to be open and receptive to His Word. And may you be glorified. And Lord, we do pray if we enter in our midst this morning, we do not have that relationship with the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. That today they realize their need to repent, put their faith and trust in Him. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as you think about the family relationship, family relationship of God. I'm going to look at several things. I have three things and some subpoints. First of all, it is a life of overcoming power. This family relationship is a life of overcoming power. Verse 14 it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And we'll look at two simply to make two things here. First of all, he it is he that gives us life. In chapter eight and verse two it says, For the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and of death. Ephesians two one says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. It's you hath he quickened. It's it's Christ that gives us life. In, in chapter uh, in John chapter 17, and throughout the book of John, chapter 17 of John, and verses 1 through 3, Jesus' prayer, the Lord, this is really the Lord's prayer. The other in Matthew is the model prayer. But here he says, These words spake Jesus, and lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. See, God gave Christ power to give eternal life to as many as whom he has sent. 
He is the one that gives life. In John chapter 3, in verses 5 through 8, speaking to Nicodemus, he said, John 3, 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And we know that a person that receives life when they're born, uh, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh or whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. And in chapter 6 and verse 63, he said, It is the Spirit that giveth life. And the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are life. The flesh profits nothing. And so this life comes from God. And we, as we mentioned last week, this life is, it speaks of, of vigor, of power. It's a life of, of overcoming life. Jesus said in John 10.10, I am come they might have life, and they might have it more abundantly. So it's overcoming life, a life of vigor and power, even to overcome the flesh and the devil. Greater is he that is in you, and that's the life of God. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So we can overcome the, the, the power and the influences of the devil because we have his life. So it's a life of overcoming power, and He is the one that gives life. Secondly, it is a life that's led of the Spirit. In verse 14 it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now the word led here means to move or to impel of forces or influences affecting the mind. So it's to be led, it's to be influenced or impelled by influences. For example, Luke 4, 1, the Bible says, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led, or he was influenced by the Spirit of God. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So we're talking about forces that affect the mind. And what we feed our minds with will influence who has power over us. Flesh or the spirit? You know, Paul talked about it in Romans chapter 3. The spirit worth against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. And these are contrary one to the other. But here in Romans 8, he said in verse 13, For if ye through the live after the flesh, ye should not. In other words, if you feed the flesh, it's going to bring back death. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify, and that's the key word here, mortify, and that word mortify means to render dead or ineffective or unemployed. If you render the flesh dead, in other words, you don't give in or you don't feed your mind the things that please the flesh. You'll be able to overcome the flesh. You'll not submit to the flesh. See, it's what we feed our minds with. That's why Paul, look at, go, to, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And this is what Paul meant when he's here speaking of here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. And he uses the illustration of, of an athlete or Olympic, Olympic uh, contestant. He says in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain 
And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. So just like that, that uh, um, uh, a contestant who's training for the Olympus, he denies his flesh the things that it naturally wants. You know, they train and train and train. They only eat certain things. They don't eat just whatever they want. They have to deny themselves so that they can be their, uh, 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 run to their fullest potential to have strength and stamina. They have to control their appetites to be successful. And Paul said, I, 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 that's what I do. That's what I do. I keep my body and under and bring it into subjection. I don't feed my flesh. You know, Paul had fed his mind spiritual things so that he would not be controlled by his flesh. You know, and, and, of course, that boils down to what we read, what we watch, what we listen to. All this affects us. It affects, influences your thoughts, which directs your actions. If you're around cursing, a lot of cursing, you know what's going to happen? Pretty soon you're going to start using curse words. If you listen to it, if you listen to carnal uh, rock music or CCM, it feeds your flesh. It's carnal. It'll make you carnal. It will affect your actions. It'll affect your walk with the Lord and your relationship with others. You know, Brother Hoyle talked about our conscience this morning you know, in Central Class, and, and just as our conscience is influenced by our senses, the things that's seen, is, is what it's been taught and all those things, you know, uh, uh, you know, so our spirit, our body is affected by what we listen to, what we read, what we watch. I've heard this many times from Christian school teachers. They had a problem student, 99 times out of 100, it could be traced to bad music. Bad music. It's carnal. It feeds the flesh. This is what Paul meant in Galatians 2.20 when he said, I am crucified with Christ. In other words, I've crucified, I've mortified my body. I've rendered it unemployed I'm not feeding it oh he ate what was necessary but he was careful what he put in his mind he denied his flesh the things it desired and because we have the life of God if we're born again and we have the life of God living in us we have the opportunity, the power to overcome sin. The unsaved are dead. They are without power. They're dead in trespasses. They cannot overcome the sins of the flesh. Oh, they may change their, you know, some people you know, change their routine and they, they, they discipline themselves, but they're still in sin. They're still bound by sin, by the penalty of sin. That hasn't changed. Go to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. 
First John chapter 3, verse 9, it says, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifested in the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Now this is not talking about sinless perfection. The word commit has the idea, or the committeth, is used many times here in this passage. Verse 4, the word committeth. Uh, 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 verse 8 talks about, has again the word committeth. And then of course verse 9, commit. And these words have the idea of practice. This is their practice. And so, whosoever born of God doth not practice sin. No, it's, not a, it's not a continual thing without end, without consequences, without guilt. Because his seed, or that word seed there means really his life, remains in him. He cannot continue in sin. Because the life of God is there. If he does, it'll bring him to an early grave. That's what happened in Corinthians. See, if we have the life of God through Christ our Lord, we can have confidence that by his power, we can be led by the Spirit. We can overcome sin. But it boils down to, what do I feed? flesh or the spirit I mean, we, need to, we need to feed our spirit of course that goes back to spending time in the word of God I mean, we'll talk some more about that this evening as well but, but we see here that he, he gives life and he gives overcoming power and we can be led of the spirit so it's a life of overcoming power secondly it is a life of love Notice verse 15 of Romans chapter 8 says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Now the word, Abba, Father. It's a term of endearment. It's a bit like me going up to Andrew and say, Daddy, Daddy. It's endearment of closeness, of tenderness. After all, we've been adopted in family. And the word adoption here has the idea of being made legally a son, having all the legal rights of sonship, all the legal rights. It is not. You know, our relationship with the Lord is not one of bondage. You, 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 you remember, in, like in Ephesians, many times Paul says, I, the prisoner of the Lord, or I, the, and he'll start out by saying, I, the servant of the Lord. You know, that's how he views himself as a servant. He's just, no, he, he's not better than anybody else. He's just serving the Lord. But in the eyes of God, he's a son. He is much greater than a servant. It's not a servant or a slave-master relationship. It's master and son. Father and Son. It is not a bondage. By the way, the Lord never asks of us anything that He would not do or has not done. 
I mean, what did he do for us? He died. And, of course, he died to bring many sons into glory. And to many, many, too many don't want to yield their lives to the Lord because they are afraid of what it might cost. You see, to them, God is hard. He's austere. He's restrictive. You know, it's, it's like rebellious children who often say of godly parents who love them, they were just, they're just mean. They let us do what we wanted. Look at Matthew 25. We see this illustrated. Matthew 25. And... <clears throat> Verse 24, I'm not going to read this whole parable for sake of time, but um, in verse 24, Matthew 25, it says, and of course, there was, he, he, there was three servants, and he gave them talents, and two of them gained uh, in their talents. And the fourth one, verse 24 says, Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man. Reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and hid, went and hid the talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. The word hard here means harsh, rough, stiff, stern. Luke 19.21, there it uses the word austere. And again, it means harsh, or rough of mind and manners. And unfair! Well, go to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. In verse 11. Now in this parable of the vineyard, laborers of the vineyard, he goes out, the, 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 the master goes out in the marketplace and he hires laborers for a penny a day. They agree for a penny a day. So he goes out in the morning, he hires some laborers for a penny a day. He goes out at lunchtime and he hires some more laborers for a penny a day. He goes out later in the day and hires some more laborers for a penny a day. They all agreed. Paytime comes. And verse 11 says, verse 10, But when the first came, they supposed that they should receive more. And they likewise received every man a penny. And when they had received it, they murmured against the goodman of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden of heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Dost thou not agree with me for a penny? Take that thine is, and go thy way. I will give unto this last, even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do with what I will with mine own? Is thine eye evil because I am good? You see, God is good. God is good. And he is, a, he is a God of love, not bondage, not harshness. 1 John 5, 3 says, His commandments are not grievous or burdensome or severe. In John chapter 16, speaking to his disciples just before he was crucified, in John 16, verses 24 to 27, Jesus said, Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name, 
Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs, but the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly of the Father. And at that day ye shall ask in my name, and I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loveth you, because ye have loved me, and have believed that I came out from God. Uh, you know, he says the Father loves you. In chapter 17, again, in verses 22 to 26, he says, And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be perfect in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Again, you see the family relationship here. It's a, it's a relationship of love, of endearment. You know, we love each other. But sometimes we do things that hurt to those we love. But our Heavenly Father never does anything to those he loves to hurt them. You know, sometimes we go through trials and tests of life that may be hard and difficult. But we can rest assured that he has our best in mind. He loves us with an everlasting love. Jeremiah 31 verse 3 says, The Lord hath appeared in of old time unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. In John 13, 1, Jesus said, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should part out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. That means he loved them continually. He loved them to the uttermost. Hebrews says he ever liveth to make intercession to the uttermost. That's the idea there. He loved them continually. It never changed. So it is a, he manifested his love toward us. Secondly, he also demonstrates his love in the fact that he bears witness to that. Notice in verse 16 of Romans 8, again it says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The, the words beareth witness means testifies or gives evidence to. You know, Romans 2.15 talks about the conscience also bearing witness, their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. So our conscience bears witness or tells us, you know, hey, you didn't do right, or you do right, or, you know, this is right, this is wrong. It's bearing witness. And that's what the Spirit of God does. In Galatians chapter 4 and verse 6, Galatians 4 and verse 6, uh, Bible says, and because ye are sons, God has set forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So because we are sons, he sent us the spirit of God into our hearts, 
to bear witness that we are his sons. And John 5, 10 says, He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of himself. So we have the, God's given us the witness in ourselves. And, and it's, it's trying to explain how this witness works. You know, Hebrews 11.4 says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being yet debt speaketh. So to be a witness or to bear witness means to testify or to affirm that one has seen or heard or experienced something. And that he knows it because taught by divine revelation. How do you know you're saved? How do you know you're saved? The Spirit of God bears witness. He testifies. First John 5, 9, the Bible says, if we, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. And he's talking there about the witness that we have in ourselves by his Spirit. The witness of God is greater. You see, it gives us assurance, it gives us confidence that we can know that we are saved. Based on the Word of God. A more sure word of prophecy. Go to 1 John chapter 2. How does the Spirit bear witness? Well, look at 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter 2. And uh, verse 3. First John 2 and verse 3 says, Hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. Notice it says, Hereby we do know that we know. We know that we know. The Spirit of God testifies or bears witness to our spirit that we know because we keep His commandments. You see, there should be a desire and, a, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a, some action or some evidence that one is keeping His commandments. And the Spirit of God then bears witness to that obedience. He affirms to us. Look at chapter 3, verse 5. Chapter 3, verse 5. And you know, there's that word know again, that he was manifest to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. So there's some evidence here of a changed life. We don't practice sin. We don't live in sin. A changed lifestyle, a manner of living. Look at verse 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. 
There is a love for the brethren, the church. It, it really, really uh, uh, puts a big question mark on a person's relationship with the Lord if they don't love his church, his body. I love you, Brother Words, but I hate your body. Something wrong with that. Chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. You know, when a person is truly born again, has the spirit of God in living that life in them, there will be a reception of the word. There will be a reception of the word. You know, John said, they will not listen to us because they are not of us. You know, when a person gives me this idea that they really don't care what the Bible says, you know what my conclusion is? They're lost. I don't care what they say. They're giving evidence that they're lost. I've had the experience of dealing with some very um, unstable people. One man, one time, you know, he would get, he would take, he would have fits And he would act in some of the worst ways you could think of. But you know what? When you confront him with the truth, he'd always repent. I had another lady who said one time, I don't care. Just vote me out of the church. I'm thinking, "Hmm, yeah, I think we better. Because I don't think she's saved to start with. She wasn't hearing. She wasn't hearing what the word of God said. She didn't care. She just wanted to do what she wanted to do. See, the spirit, of, the spirit of God bears witness. The life within He bears witness to. He gives evidence and assures us. Not that we're, you know, we're, not, we're not talking about sinless perfection, but there's a desire there. There's a, there's a changed life. He bears witness to that love. Then I want you to notice the third thing. So we see it's a, a life of overcoming power. It's a life of love. It's also a life of loyalty. Notice verse 17. If children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. So he says that we're, if we're children, if we are children, then if A is true, then B is certain. Follow me? So if we are his children, then we are, not if, we are heirs. You know, this goes back, of course, to the adoption. We've been made part of the family with all the legal rights of inheritance. All the legal rights. If Christ has legal rights, and I'm in Christ, I have those legal rights. Now, he's the eldest. He's considered like the elder brother. 
receiving a double portion, speaking of priesthood of the family and speaking of, of, of uh, uh, preeminence in the family. That's my Lord. That's my Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. But I'm still in the family. In John 17, 12, he says, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept. And none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. You see, we're in the family. We're in it for all eternity. If we are children, we are in the family, and we are in it for all eternity. It is certain. You know, the idea here, the word if, is it is assumed. Again, if it's, it's assumed, if we are led by the Spirit, the Spirit's bearing witness, it's assumed that we are God's children. Psalm 94, 14 says, The Lord will not cast off His people, neither will He forsake His inheritance. You know, an heir is one who receives his allotted possession by right of sonship. And of Christians, here's part of this definition is, of Christians as exalted by faith to the dignity of sons of Abraham and sons of God, and hence to receive the blessings of God's kingdom that he's promised to Abraham. And then it has this word at the end of it, absolutely. Absolutely. It cannot be altered. In Galatians 4, 7, Paul wrote to the church of Galatians, he says, Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. In Titus chapter 3, verse 7, he says that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You know, again, this right of inheritance is a legal matter established by God when he adopted us. It is a matter of God's law, giving all the rights and privileges of adult son. And this is present tense. It says, we have received the spirit of adoption, which means we are joint heirs with Christ. You know, we have yet to receive that part of it, practically. But being we're in the family, it's a sure thing. It is a sure thing. It can't, again, it cannot be altered. Go to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 again. First John chapter 3 verse 1 Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not Beloved now are we the sons of God and it doth not yet appear what we shall be but we know that when he shall appear we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. 
You see, beloved, now are we the sons of God. It's not future. It's present. It's present. And nothing can change that. God has promised. He's going to be loyal to keep that promise. It's an eternal promise. It's an eternal relationship. And God keeps his promises. You see, life for a child of God is a family relationship. You're born into it. Except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Not a lot that I say unto you, you must be born again. So have you been born into the family of God? Have you repented of your sin, put your faith and faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to save you from your sin? Have you realized God's love that has been manifested to you? Are you being led by the Spirit? Are you feeding your mind with things of the Spirit and not things of the flesh? Are you struggling with your flesh? Examine what you're feeding your mind. And be led by the Spirit. Do you have that assurance of his love in your life this morning? Do you have the Spirit of God bearing witness that you are a child of God? My friend, God loves you. And he desires for you to have that kind of relationship which he has made possible because he manifested his love us in dying in our place. So how is your family relationship? 